BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to another episode of Equal Play. I'm your host, Annie Castle, and this week's guest is a savant, a retired professional basketball player, New York native turned Chicago resident, marketing genius turned CEO and founder of Agency 32, offering integrated marketing for the triple threat brand. Boom! She's also a really good friend, so I'm just super pumped to have her on. And without wasting any more time, let me introduce this week's guest, Taylor Burner. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm excited to be here. This is Taylor's first podcast episode. She's she's recording, you guys. Like, she's a rookie, and I'm thrilled that she gave me her time. And like you all know, on this podcast, we really like to uh, share some insights, share some intelligence, share people's stories, how they how they got to be as successful as they are. And in order to do that, we got to start from the very beginning. So, Taylor, before we get into what you're presently doing, let's go back. You played at Christ the King before getting a full scholarship to play at Stony Brook. I imagine your childhood was very athletic if you're playing at Christ the King and then getting a D1 scholarship. So what was it like growing up in New York? What was your childhood like? Yeah, so I, I actually grew up in a very small town called Port Jefferson on uh-huh. Long Island. It's like when you tell people what exit is on the Long Island Expressway, they're like, oh, like it's really far away. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for those that know, exit 62 on the LIE. Um, for those that know, no. For those of us that don't, I'm sure we can find some way to relate. Uh, like further than if we said like Naperville. Oh, that's such a relatable statement. That's such a relatable Chicago (laughs) statement. If you're from Naperville, you're not from Chicago, except Candace Parker. Candace Parker can claim Chicago. And that's what people say about if city versus Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I grew up out there. I played basketball. I really only started playing because my sister was playing and my dad was the coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I have five siblings or six siblings, five sisters. Um, and they're all about five foot seven. And I think I was five foot seven when I was 10. So, <laughs> <laughs> like literally. So um, I was And like, for hey. those that don't know, you're like six, two, three, six, six, three. three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was like, OK, I should probably pick up a basketball. So I started playing um, and my first AAU team, um, I traveled probably 45 minutes from where I grew up from Port Jeff. And it was a very different experience, much more, um, how do I say, urban community Mm -hmm. than than Port Jeff, where I grew up, which was very um, 
white rich Jewish people uh-huh. and um, so that was kind of my first awakening to to what the real world is like uh-huh. um, so I played throughout high school played on some of the best teams my AAU team was like two-time national champions they all the whole team went on to I mean Stephanie Dolson played on my AAU team um, Sky fine. fans keep it together don't yeah. cry <laughs> it's fine you'll still see Steph you'll still yeah. see her when she comes for away games um, so yeah, South Carolina, Seton Hall, St. John's, like these girls were going everywhere. Uh-huh. So I ended up at Stony Brook, um, played there for four years. And after college, I thought I was done. I was like, I hate basketball. I'm never doing this again. Got a call from the Maccabea games, which is for those that don't know, it's actually the third largest sporting event in the world uh, behind Damn. the world cup and the Olympics. So, but it's no big deal, but it's the Jewish Olympics. So it's like when you go, it's 10,000 Jews, all different sports, like Uh hundreds of different sports, just like the Olympics, but you go to Israel for it. Um, So I was on Team USA for that, won a gold medal. And while I was there, um, some agents saw me on the roster, saw that I was done with college and they were like, hey, you need to play in Israel. You can get your citizenship and play as a local. So I was like. Hmm, okay, I don't know what I want to do with my life, so it sounds like a great idea. So I ended up playing overseas for two years, um, quit in the middle of that, said I was done again, and then my agent called me back and was like, hey. And at the time, I was selling gym memberships at LA Fitness. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go back to Israel, no problem. Love that. I don't <laughs> mind giving up my job selling gym memberships at yeah, LA Fitness. I was like, this is fine. Um, I was actually selling gym memberships for three months, and then they made me a general manager. And I was like, this is a very <laughs> weird place. That's just, again, I feel like I could speak to who Taylor is as a person, her being a friend. That just says so much about you that she went from selling memberships to within months being the general manager. Yeah, I was like literally running a club and I was like 22 years old. No big deal. Uh, so anyway, I uh, went back overseas and then I was like, okay, now I'm really done. And I moved to Brooklyn, um, had no idea what I wanted to do, started Googling jobs in sports uh-huh. and landed this job it was the first place that called me back it's called or it was at the time called fit for life nyc Mm -hmm. and i was the program manager there it was a very small like social impact company and um we built programming for kids in underserved communities Mm -hmm. so i was doing everything i was building programming i was training instructors i was building the trainings i was doing contracts i was literally doing everything um after a year and a half i got laid off and I was like, oh, shit, what now? What do I do? And I was like, working for Nike would be cool. And I told my sister that, and she knew someone over at Nike, sent my resume and was like, I need a favor. Please help my fif- my sister find a uh, internship. And he was like, fine, as a favor, I'll send it to our agency. So they sent it to Game 7, uh, Game 7 Marketing, based in Brooklyn. And I started as an intern, like, two weeks later. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I did their internship program. It was like three months for the summer. So after three months, I um, I was hired full time. I was one of four interns that was hired full time. Uh-huh. Um, so I was there for about two years, and in that time, had started coming to Chicago and working with Nike Chicago a lot. Mm-hmm. And after two years, I had really good relationships here, 
and the director of basketball, shout out Jen Cunningham. She's my girl, my mentor still, one of my really good friends. She was like, do you want to move to Chicago? And I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, we have this church thing coming up and I need you to run it. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Which ended up being a huge, huge, huge Chicago, not even just Chicago, but basketball moment for for nike for the basketball culture in the city and just across the country yeah it ended up being in an insane four weeks where we built a basketball five-star basketball facility in an abandoned church on the west side and we did free programming for kids we had influencer runs we did nike employee run we did everything everything you could think of um and it actually went on to win a a grand prix at Cannes, which is the highest marketing honor that you could possibly get. So that was a crazy, crazy moment. And then I was like, hey, I'll just stay here. So (laughs) I worked with Momentum for two years building their Nike business. From humble beginnings at LA Fitness. Okay, so many questions. But first, I don't want to pass up, you know, your early experiences playing the game. So when you started playing basketball, would you say you liked it or you just kind of <laughs> did it because you were tall and had some athletic prowess? It made sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like looking back, like in retrospect, I think I liked the attention that I got from it. Uh-huh. Um, I liked like walking into a gym and they were like, oh, there's the big girl. <laughs> like, yeah. I liked being that person, and, like having that presence because I naturally had it. So I just had somewhere to channel it to now. Yeah. Um, but I think I liked the game. I, I, I didn't like training <clears throat> at all. I, my dad would, used to fight with me. Did you jump rope today? Did you do this today? And I was like, no. Like, I was not into the, the training thing. But I did it a lot. Um, but it was more because it, was, it just came with the game. And it was the culture that I was in. Everyone around me was doing it. Yeah. And I ask because so many of us <laughs> find inspiration for our careers through something that, you know, you don't even have to like every aspect of something, but it leads you to a place you're supposed to be in your life. So, you know, an athletic career, I think for a lot of us, especially those, I think, listening to this podcast, it's like that may be where you start, but that doesn't mean your only goal can be becoming a professional athlete. Oh, yeah. If I if I didn't play basketball, I would not be remotely the person that I am today from all the like soft skills, like time management and like things like that and like hard work, dedication, like all that stuff, but even mm-hmm. just like how I interact with people and how I accept all different people from different places and backgrounds and whatever. Um, respecting people, learning how to deal with conflict, like all of these things made me who I am today and gave me the ability to put myself in the position where I was able to start my own company and and do what I've done in the last six or so months. So, it, yeah, if I didn't play basketball, I would, I don't know, I'd probably be a lawyer somewhere. My whole family's lawyers, so I'd probably be a lawyer somewhere. <laughs> Still not a bad life, but honestly, <laughs> I, I don't know too many super, super happy lawyers. If you're out there, <laughs> give me a call. I'd, I'd love to shout you out. But <laughs> My mom might call you. <laughs> Is your mom a happy lawyer? Yeah. She, okay, awesome. Yeah, Shout out to Taylor's mom. But she's a business owner, okay. so she runs her own stuff. Yeah. So she's more entrepreneur than she is lawyer. She's very good at what she does, but I think she's happy because she's an entrepreneur. Okay. So another aspect of, of your life that's super interesting to me is you played at Christ the King and 
Sue Bird also played at Christ the King. People didn't know this until yesterday when I posted this 15-year-old photo of me at Christ the King. But yeah, I was actually recruited to play there in my junior year. And so, I mean, that's a powerhouse high school program. Who were you getting exposed to at a young age that impacted your career then, you know, as a professional in this professional sports landscape? Yeah, I came right after Tina Charles graduated. Um, Players on my team, I don't think you would know any of them. Um, One of them is still my best friend, Tahira Johnson. But, um, I mean, Bob Mackey was my coach. Right. I think he's like, he's still coaching. I saw him at a tournament like Mm -hmm. three months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a whole different level of dedication that I, thinking about it now, I can't believe I did that at 15 years old. Like I moved to the city because I lived out on Long Island. Yeah. But I had to change my address technically and it was just really far. So I moved to the city when I was 15. My parents were both running businesses on Long Island. So I was like, and they'll kill me if I say this, but I was kind of alone out there. Uh huh. Like my mom would come when she could. But by the time she got to the city after work, it was 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, so like she definitely did her best in trying to do that. But where did you fall in the kid like last? So they really <laughs> had a lot of trust in you. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely the independent child. Uh-huh. Um, I could have been way. I could have been a really bad kid. I had the opportunity to, but I wasn't. I literally would wake up at 5 a.m. every day, get on the bus, get on the train an hour and a half to school. Mm hmm work out before school, go to school, go to practice after, and take the train home. That was my day, every Mm -hmm. day. Um, So that was like a whole other level of dedication and just like I wanted to do that at Mm -hmm. that time. Um, And that's probably when I loved the game a lot because no one was doing that. Yeah, that That was, was, you would say, when you loved the game the most? Yeah, that was crazy. And just looking back, being exposed to some of those individuals – how how do you see that having an impact on you now, whereas maybe when you were living it, you, you didn't really realize the, the significance of being surrounded by so many brilliant people? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't even just the basketball aspect. It was the entire environment. Because, again, I grew up in white, Jewish, rich Port Jefferson. Yeah. And I now was at a school in Middle Village, Queens, uh-huh. where... I wasn't the big man on campus. I wasn't one of 100 kids in my class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was one of like 2,500 and people from all different places. Like kids were coming from Jamaica, Queens. They were coming from Flushing. They were coming from the Bronx and Manhattan. Like there was all different types of people coming to the school. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn at 15, 16 years old when you are kind of already who you are yeah, and you already interact with kids the way you do, I had to kind of relearn how to interact with people because some of the stuff that I was pulling at school in Port Jefferson, these kids were not going. It was just a new way of having to deal with people and, and interact with people. And I think I've carried that into, definitely carried that into what I do now. Absolutely. Sure. And you know, you're stopping in Israel for, for two years. You talked about getting your citizenship. What was that process like? And are you still a citizen? Do you have to re-up on that? I would have had to renew it. I didn't renew it. So okay. I think it expired like two years ago. Um, but I basically, <laughs> this is so bad. I basically had to convince the Jewish government or the Israeli government that 
I really wanted to reconnect with my roots as a Jewish person. <laughs> did you reconnect with your Jewish roots? I did, actually, which is the interesting thing. Um, I, I went so there. So it wasn't a lie. It wasn't a lie. I mean, when I said it, it was a lie. But then, like, in execution, it was true. Yeah. <laughs> so I... I ended up really connecting with the country and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt closer to my dad is my dad is Jewish um, and he doesn't have much family. So we didn't really celebrate Judaism growing up. Mm-hmm. But I felt more connected to him and like his upbringing. And we had some things to talk about. And, um, you know, I got a this is like against Judaism, but modern Judaism. I got like a couple tattoos that meant some things to me while I was there mm-hmm. so like I definitely ended up connecting but that wasn't the intention the intention was to go and play basketball and get paid what was women's basketball like in Israel it's really high level it's one of the it's one of the top programs um in the world right I would say top five probably like obviously Russia and Turkey are kind of like it but um Israel I was playing with WNBA players right but I was playing as a local, so I didn't count as one of the Americans. You could only have three Americans on the team. Mm-hmm. So I didn't count as one of them. But they were all, like, WNBA or, like, right under WNBA players. So, and I wasn't that level of a player. So it was just really high-level basketball that I was not qualified for, <laughs> honestly. Well, clearly you were qualified if they came out looking for you. I came. I was qualified because I was a 6'3 Israeli. Right. Israeli in air quotes, like... I wasn't, I, in actual Israel, there's very few of me. Okay, well, I need to ask, because I think it's important to talk about money as women. How much were you getting paid while you were over there? I was, I was getting paid super low, like 2,500 a month. Okay. Plus, and they paid for my car and my house. So overall, the, it it was an experience. It was a life experience that had great impact on you later in life I mean presently in life too yeah yeah no definitely and um I think it just showed me that I got a chance to see the world I got to live in Israel which was really dope mm-hmm. I had a great time while I was there <laughs> like I was going out I was having a good time uh, Taylor's still having a good time ladies oh and gentlemen God. no I'm inside now Taylor is I'm one of the <laughs> greatest people at having a good time and also making moves while she's doing it i don't think i've ever seen you out and not making a connection making taking a step forward in some aspect you're just one of those people that will have fun but uh get work done while you're doing it it seems i just see the connections like if i meet someone and they're like oh i do this my brain automatically goes to, oh, well, we could do this together. Or you should meet this person. Or like, I've, I naturally like helping people. Mm-hmm. So when I see those synergies, it's just, and I do it very conversation. I don't mean to be like working while I'm out, but I do it very conversationally where it's just, it just like in my brain, it makes sense at the time. Right. No, it doesn't even feel like work. That's what I'm saying yeah. is so impressive. So you come back. You're living in Brooklyn. You eventually make the move to Chicago. When did you start to envision owning your own company? I think probably 
a year into working at Momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was running the Nike business there and building it. And and what did that entail? Everything from business growth to concept ideation to uh, execution, budget and revenue management, mm-hmm. literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, cre- I was overseeing creative team and production teams um, for different events. My team would grow. So like for All Star, I had a team of 18 people because mm-hmm. I had eight different events across the city that were happening simultaneously, mm-hmm. which was interesting for my schedule at that time. Uh, <laughs> it's like, how do I clone myself? Um, but yeah, it was literally everything that came with running. So I was basically running an agency within the agency. Right. So that's when I was like, okay, I can do this myself. Like I don't need to be, and I was seeing all the numbers cause I was, I was managing the revenue and I was managing the budgets so I could see the numbers of what the agency was making. And then I obviously knew what I was making and I was like, huh, this math is not mathing for me right now. <laughs> is not right they set you up to leave they put it right in front of your face i mean kind of yeah i was like flying under the radar there because my team was small Mm -hmm. and no one really cared about what we were doing unfortunately it was just like a shiny trophy for them to talk about but no one actually showed up to anything or like cared um so that was an interesting thing but um then i was like making all these connections you know we do a lot of stuff that we would do with nike especially in the city is is highlighting people and artists and musicians and using them and their image and likeness for campaigns and things like that. So I was making a lot of these connections and um, people w- started hitting me up being like, what do you think I should charge for this? Or what do you think I should do for this? Or like I would be negotiating from the agency side when Nike is really my client, but I'm negotiating to get the artist more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I was like, people just started asking me and I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. Like I actually wanted to be a, an agent growing up, like mm-hmm. a on court agent, but I didn't want to go to law school. I actually studied for law school for a little while to do it. And then I was like, yeah, that's is not for me. Have you reconsidered that at all? Is that something you, you could maybe see yourself going to law school and, and becoming an agent? Not law school, but what I hear these days is you don't need to be a lawyer mm-hmm. to be an agent. Um, so definitely something in consideration love that love that yeah um but yeah so people just started asking me and I was like oh that sounds cool so I I started with um I started like small stuff for some friends like Mm -hmm. just here and there would help them nothing crazy it was my first LLC was actually Taylor B management um which I had for about a year before I started Agency 3-2. I just, like, wasn't feeling the name anymore. I was mm-hmm. like, this doesn't feel right to me. Um, and during quarantine, I kind of, like, built a website for that and, like, made it a thing. And then I was like, eh, I'm not really into it. Um, and then I got, during COVID, I got laid off for Momentum. So I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, this is scary. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And there's no jobs, and uh, now I don't have one. So I was on a shoot with Chloe Pavlik. She was overtime Chloe. Now she's just Chloe. Um, And it was a Nike shoot for Momentum for Mm -hmm. this campaign we were doing. I was finishing it out. And she was like, she was asking me questions. And she's like, well, 
like what do you like what do you do like I don't understand what you do and I was like well I'm actually leaving momentum I think I'm gonna start my own thing she was like oh great I need an agent and I was like boom wait what (laughs) I didn't even have a name for it at this point like I didn't even have my LLC yet she's like I need someone I was like okay like let's talk let's figure it out and this is the first time she and I had ever met Mm -hmm. and she we just like had an instant connection when I left that day she texted me and was like hey my friend like I'm working out some things right now so we need to hold but my friend really needs someone and I was like okay she was like Chelsea Miller and I was like okay dope so Chelsea and I started working together a week later Mm -hmm. um and that was almost a year and a half ago and then I I remember I was sitting at the table with somebody in my apartment and it just came to me I was like triple threat agency three two like that's why I'm running my agency and it just like happened like that it was very weird very weird situation um so then from this is November 2020 uh-huh. through September 21, this past September. I had a couple other jobs. I worked at BBDO running the champion business. I was the marketing director at a cannabis company for like three months. That didn't work out. And all the while, I was kind of building my my own business. And when it didn't work out with the cannabis company in September, I was just like, I'm not getting another job. Do you feel like you were getting nudged in this direction your entire life? Or was there a specific moment where you were like, damn, I I'm meant to own my own marketing agency. I'm not meant to be raising dollars for others. <laughs> raising dollars for others. That's <laughs> um, I this I'm meant to work for myself. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Just my personality, um, my ideas, um, the way that I work with people, I'm meant to do it on my own. Yeah. And both my parents are entrepreneurs. So I kind of grew up seeing that and mm-hmm. seeing them build their own businesses. Mm-hmm. So it it only made sense that this was kind of, and I said it to my parents actually like three years ago, I was like, I just need to do my own thing. Yeah. But I wasn't ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was ready now. I just needed that nudge. Yeah, I asked because I think all of us can relate to having a light bulb moment and maybe it starts small. Maybe there's like that first little voice in your head and then it gets louder and louder. And just the significance and importance of listening to it when it creeps in and maybe you're not ready in that exact moment, but that doesn't mean ignore the voice that's kind of nudging you in this direction. Like it seemed to have been nudging you. Yeah. I don't believe in coincidence. No, like I think everything happens for a reason. I think Every time I got laid off or fired, um, it was to show me, it was to like open this door a little more Mm -hmm. and for me to see through it. Um, And this last time in September, it was very clear to me. Like it was finally clear. Like the other times it was like I could peek through the door, but I couldn't really fully see the vision. Mm -hmm. This last time in September, I was like, oh, I didn't even cry when I got fired. I like, I was like, okay. They were like, are you okay? Like, are you good? And I was like, no, I'm cool. Like, when are you sending my severance? (laughs) (laughs) When are you sending the check? I'm fine. Yeah, no, I was like, I'm good. Like, it's okay. And actually that day I landed a a deal that kind of took me through the end of the year. And Mm -hmm. I had a salary for the rest of the year because I had something else in the works already. So, so yeah, I think it, it definitely, you need to listen to that stuff because it doesn't happen on accident there is definitely a purpose for it. And like, I'm not, 
I'm not a religious person, but I believe in the universe. And like mm-hmm. the universe tells you things and you need to listen to it. Absolutely. I agree with that statement. hundred percent. So when you were launching agency three, two or conceptualizing it, bringing it to life and you know, you had someone like Chloe come to you who then introduces you to another client of yours, Chelsea Miller, how important was being real with them about where the company was at at that place was it to you because when you're when you're bringing people on and and listen I'm not a business owner but I there's a lot of there's a lot of snakes out there they're selling you on what they have behind door one and really there's nothing behind door one so how did you approach that were you like listen I'm just getting started I know we could do something great how did you how did you sell your first clients they definitely knew that I was just starting but I sold my experience, which was all very real. Like I ran a business for a very large public company mm-hmm. for, for, I mean, at that point it was close to four years at different agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew X, Y, Z people. Mm-hmm. Um, and pe- this sounds really weird, but people just fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> because because i'm a real person like if you I know feel like that could be you know how every podcast has like the the, the quote <laughs> that was a great quote taylor they but, do but it's because i'm a real person when you see me you know what you're gonna get mm-hmm. and you know that if you ask me a question i'm gonna answer it very real mm-hmm. um but respectfully mm-hmm. at the same time like i don't i don't do disrespect and i don't i don't disrespect people and i'm not with other people that i'm around doing that um, which could be a conversation for another time, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I was, it wasn't even like a direct conversation like that. I think we all just kind of knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew I was just starting, but they knew my experience mm-hmm. and, and that's what kind of led me was what I had done, not what, where my current business was at. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in, how smaller agencies compete with an agency like the one you came with or came from, excuse me, because we're entering, I think, this place, and maybe it's just more obvious now because we're older and paying attention, but we're entering this place where clients are very aware of what they can make, what they can do, and they're not trying to sign with someone who's they're going to make all this money for and isn't isn't real with them on on the back end so with your agency do you see yourself as having to be more um an agency for the client or is that just how agencies should be period i think um there's pros and cons of big and small agencies right Uh um just like with anything I think the pros to have working with a smaller agency, and I obviously have a biased opinion, I think those outweigh the cons because the pros, these are the pros. One, it's you have a, a smaller agency, so a more intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. You can understand the brand better because you have one-on-one time with the brand. It's not 10 people in a boardroom trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. um it's cheaper for them Mm -hmm. because again i'm not putting 10 people on on the agency fee list that really don't even do much we don't Mm -hmm. need 
a strategist and an art director and a creative director and a creative person and a graphic designer and like you don't need all those people you can get the same amount of work done with a much leaner crew Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what i sell to people is like i do really good work and i travel with a crew of like four people Mm -hmm. um and honestly we could probably one of those is my assistant so we could like cut one person if we really needed to yeah but that person is very important i'm not gonna say that they're not um so yeah i just i just think the the con the con the pros outweigh the cons when it comes to working with a smaller agency a bigger agency you get a lot of good stuff too though you get um a revenue stream like if you say the the agency or the brand is late to pay the agency that's okay because the agency has money over here. Right, stacked to already. To still, like, fund the project while they're waiting for the check. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like, okay, we need the check now. Right. <laughs> like, I need to pay 10 people today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there's pros and cons. I think it just depends on what you need to get done, how you want it to look. We definitely take more of, like, a grassroots approach and everything feels really organic. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was doing, like a big production commercial shoot, I could do it, but that's not really our bread and butter. Uh-huh. So pros and cons. Pros and cons. There they are. So when you established your first two clients, Chloe and Chelsea, how did you go about adding to that list? Um, it was really just networking yeah. and, and making connections with people. Um, Chloe has, has helped me for sure. Um, I mean, she ooped me, Dijanae and Jaden also, mm-hmm. um, my other friend, Casey, it's really just pe- now that people know that I'm on my own, they're like, oh, you should go talk to Taylor. You should go talk to Taylor. So like, I have a friend, Casey in LA, she works in similar business in the music industry and knows a ton of people. She oops me people. Um, so it's really just now that people know I'm on my own, it's kind of been word of mouth. I haven't really... And this, I'm very grateful for this, but I haven't really had to do much marketing right. yet. It just seems like, again, these smaller agencies, a, a, an agency like yourself, you're able to be successful based on exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. That's what's bringing you clients. That's what's yeah. bringing you business is just your reputation. And then that's something that started way back, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, at Christ the King. Mm-hmm. So... At this place you're in now, how much did your career as a player it have an impact on the success you're, you're having right now as a founder of your own agency? Um, I think it goes back to like what I was saying before with like soft skills mm-hmm. and just and people skills um, and people. And it's allowed me to authentically be in the women's basketball space, mm-hmm. which is something that I think is very interesting right now because everyone wants to be in the women's basketball space right right now. And, but there's a lot of people that didn't play or, or were just like fans, which is all great. And we love that. But when I'm able to walk into a gym and authentically relate with players and people, Mm -hmm. it's a different, it just puts me in a different space. Right. And it's not that it's higher or lower than anyone. It's just a different type of space. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like if a football player walks into an NFL practice, they're going to have more to talk about (laughs) or even just like the way we interact. Right. Um, So I think it's just allowed me a certain level of authenticity and also just like being a women's basketball player 
um, you relate with men differently. And mm-hmm. this is obviously a very male dominated uh, space, mm-hmm. like management and sports and mm-hmm. entertainment. So it just, it, the way I interact with men is very different than um, the way a lot of women would. And I, th- I, owe, I owe that to the game for mm-hmm. sure. So the NIL exposed a lot. One thing I've found really interesting that I learned, you know, in the last year was that women's basketball players at the collegiate level are making more money than women or than men's basketball players at the collegiate level because of the NIL. And I'm not saying that that was surprising at all, but to you, when you saw that, what did that tell you about not only where the college game is going, but how the WNBA is going to be impacted by that as well. This whole NIL thing has been like the wild, wild west. (laughs) Like it is so insane. Like, cause think about it. When's the last time we did something that literally no one has ever done before. Right. Like everyone is just guessing and trying to figure it out. And especially with an entity like the NCAA that does not change shit. Yeah. No, it's like the most archaic, ancient. It's always been this way. We're always gonna do <laughs> yeah. it this way. Nothing's changing ever. Yeah, like we. It was news that like Selection Sunday for women was on the same day as men. Right. Like, Why is this news? But anyway, um, it has been a very interesting ride. I'm the the disparity. I think, and this is a very personal opinion, is the difference between. <laughs> between women and men, Mm -hmm. it is a lot of work for, for these girls and guys to do the work that needs to be done to make money off their social media for brands. Mm -hmm. It is like on top of, and I know this because I was a college athlete and I played at a mid major, but like I'm dealing with, I'm working with someone that works at or plays at a top 10 school. Mm -hmm. So her schedule is probably way crazier than mine was, mm-hmm. but we were dedicating like 80 hours to just stuff that we had to do, mm-hmm. like school practice, lift, tutoring, class, whatever else. Mm-hmm. So then on top of that, to make a TikTok is like, that's another like hour or two in your day. I don't want to age myself. I'm 31. I'm proud of my age, but TikTok is not easy. No. TikTok's really so fucking hard. hard. I still I I still don't make TikToks like Same. Yeah, no, I can't. But but trying to keep them on track with like, hey, Gatorade needs this from you by tomorrow or, you know, Auntie Anne's needs this from you in 2 days and it's like, where in my schedule if I'm the player? Where in my schedule am I getting this done? Mm-hmm. So I think for the girls, they're very like scheduled out. They have everything in their calendars. The guys just go where their coaches tell them to go right and that was my experience in college at least Mm -hmm. but and i'm sure there are some guys that aren't like that it seems like women are better at being multifaceted is what you're saying kind of like they're just (laughs) they're just more organized yeah and like can get xyz done and then like do it again the next day Mm -hmm. and and it's it's just like it's been so difficult to or challenging and Jaden and i have really worked out i think and if she ever listens to this, she might be like, oh, no. But we've worked out a really nice way of working together. We're like, 
I know I have her game schedule in my calendar. Mm-hmm. I know 24 hours before a game, I'm not asking her to do anything. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a big game, maybe 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows that she can text me and be like, hey, I need you to just chill for the next you know, three days. This is a big game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So like, it takes a lot of communication and organization and figuring things out. And I, again, in my personal opinion, feel like women are better at doing that than men. I would 100% agree with another (laughs) Taylor Burner statement. As a founder, CEO, owner of Agency 3-2, what's been the biggest hurdle for you, the biggest challenge that you, you weren't prepared for in, in becoming an owner? You know, like you spent all this time at Momentum, you spent all this time becoming a marketing savant, like we said at the top of the episode, <laughs> but in being an owner, what were you just not prepared for? Um, finance. Okay. <laughs> this was, did I tell you, I can't remember if I told you this or someone else. People ask me this question all the time. Um, figuring out my finance system mm-hmm. is, was, and is still the hardest thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like figuring out QuickBooks, getting an accountant that understands my business, getting a bookkeeper that's on their stuff, like figuring out when to pay people, you know, payroll every two weeks when I have employees, like all of that stuff. Taxes, now now I'm in the taxes shitstorm, which is like a whole thing. My but aunt's an accountant, and I remember when we were younger, she would just always talk about this time of the year. She'd be like, it's that time of the year. And I'm like, what? What does that mean? And now as an adult, I'm like, I never understood until now. Cause like my taxes are easy yeah, before now. Right. Like it was whatever. Like my friend did it for me on TurboTax or something. Uh-huh. But this is a whole other level of things that I am not good at. <laughs> so <laughs> that has been the hardest thing. I think that'll forever be the hardest thing. That and hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. Surrounding yourself with the right people. Hiring the right people. And it's hard because when you start a business, you think you're hiring for one thing. And then as you go, you find out you really needed another thing. Um, so that has been the hardest part. And and I'm lucky. I have some really great people that I've worked with. Um but I mean, I've definitely had to make adjustments along the way and that has been a really hard, hard part. And it's something that you can only learn through trial and error. I think yeah. a lot of people start in a, in a career, start chipping away at a goal and get totally thrown by the first challenge or, or repeated challenges. And they're like, ah, is this still meant for me? Am I still meant to do this? And it's like, Absolutely. Yeah. You got to be led by the passion of it, I think, and not be deterred by, you know, missteps along the way. We all make them. Yeah. No, I I recently had to fire somebody for the first time firing what someone. What was that like? It was my first time firing someone for my business. I fired people at other people's businesses before. Uh-huh. It wasn't easy, especially because the people that I've had up to this point were there in the beginning Mm -hmm. they were the first people so um it wasn't easy and honestly like what you were just saying it was one of those days where i was like just throw it all away i don't need a business anymore like (laughs) we could just be done here it's fine but you know i had to do it and then move on and i'm in the process of trying to find someone new and we'll just like figure it out yeah but 
it sucks. I mean, it ruins someone's day. Yeah, like, right. And like maybe week. Like I don't know. Um, but you have to kind of like remove the emotions from it. Yeah, I imagine as a as a business owner, you just can't take things personal. You can't yeah. think of it from a personal lens. I mean, that's just such a relatable thing. And, and we all have those days where it's like, you want to just hang it up. You're like, I'm going to just go <laughs> move back in with my mom. I can't yeah, even yeah, say yeah. it because I genuinely like th that idea is just that would never happen. But but yes, there are so many days where even when you're totally aligned with what you're doing, you're totally passionate, sold from head to toe on this dream that you're like, fuck yeah. this. I'm yeah. done. I'm yeah. done. And I think it's OK to talk about those days, too. We don't have to just be on our positive Instagram shit all the time. Yeah, no, it's very real. Um, but on the opposite end of that question I originally asked you, what's been surprisingly easy come naturally to you about being an owner? Um, what has been easy? Maybe yeah. nothing. Maybe that's an ignorant question. It's not no. an easy thing to own a business. Yeah, no, it's... Honest, I wouldn't say it's easy, but one thing I've been surprised by is what I was talking about before where I haven't really had to market mm -hmm. to, to get more business. I don't want to say like, it's been easy to get business. Like that's not the case. I've definitely had to do a lot of like networking and moving around and talking to people. But um, that has been a surprising thing for me um, in the ease in which I've been getting business. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I hope it stays that way. I don't know. We're going to find out, but, um, yeah, that I've been lucky in that. And that's just come from being your authentic self, which is another really important lesson, I think for obviously young women and, and just people in general. Yeah. I think the last five years of me doing the work that I was doing at different agencies was, I didn't know at the time, but it was laying the groundwork for me to be able to do what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. like people want to work with me now because they're like, hey, I remember I worked with you three years ago and everything was amazing and it was seamless and we got what we wanted and you were fun to work with and whatever. Um, like I've had old clients DM me, be like, hey, I saw you have your own thing now. Like, let's do something. Mm -hmm. um, and these are clients from like really big brands. So that that has been nice to see that all the work that I felt like sucked at the time, it really did lay the groundwork for me to be able to build a, a full business in six months. So. And have you had any conversations with former employers, you know, Momentum, anybody about what you're doing and, and any any um, acknowledgement of your greatness? Yeah, one hired me. <laughs> <laughs> What was that like full circle moment? No, he was, he was always my guy. Okay. Um, when I was at momentum, he was the kind of like head honcho guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I doubt he'll listen to this, but he, uh, he was always kind of in my corner and on my side, it was just like the system wouldn't allow him to do what he wanted to do with me yeah. at momentum. Um, but he, he also left there and hit me up like, Hey, we're doing some cool stuff. Um, that's how I started working with Secret Walls. Mm -hmm. So he was like, we're doing some cool stuff and I need someone like you. Mm -hmm. So that was a great conversation. So before we transition to, into this last part of our conversation, um, I want to just, you know, give you an opportunity. Is there any anything Agency 3-2 is working on right now that 
that you're super excited about that your clients have coming up that you know you want to share share with the public yeah so um Dijonay Carrington she plays for the Connecticut Sun I'm really excited about um, what we're going to do with her this season. She mm-hmm. just had a killer off season. She led the league in scoring in Israel, which mm-hmm. was great. I think she was getting like 28 points a game or something mm-hmm. as a rookie. Um, then she just played in Athletes Unlimited, finished seventh in the in the leaderboard. Um, and I'm, if, I mean, let's pray she gets on the court <laughs> this right. season. She has an amazing team. She's on a team with the MVP and all those uh, – all those vets. So Sky she, fans are familiar with the Connecticut Sun. Yeah, they are. They <laughs> are. I was a neutral fan that day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she is going to have an ama- amazing season in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. And we have a ton of marketing. We have an app that's coming out for her. She's gonna have merch, she's gonna have NFTs, she's gonna everything. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm really excited about that. Um and Chloe, it's always Chloe season. Um, so we're going to the WNBA draft in a couple weeks, which will be fun. She'll be on the orange carpet. Um, and yeah, those are like the big things right now. Awesome. So it's going to be an exciting season for agency (laughs) three, two. And obviously, you know, we cover the sky here, the sky beat writer. So this last season was super excited, exciting for Chicago and having spent so many years in this city after moving here from New York. I just wondered what your take is on this last season and what you saw from Chicago sports fans in the Sky's championship pursuit, the excitement, the embrace. I don't know. What was your take on on this last year? Uh, It was about time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I won't use the word bandwagoners, but hey. Uh, <laughs> we could but, that's fair that's fair it, it I, and i mean that always happens in sports people start paying attention in the playoffs and it's and not it's more obvious than in the wmba yeah. when an arena at the beginning of the season has literally no one in nobody it. and then the final two games are sold out yeah it's fair to call people bandwagon fans yeah but it was exciting mm-hmm. that was some of the most i don't remember being that excited about sports in a long time Mm-mm. maybe since i was playing mm-hmm. literally don't remember and I I have a biased opinion because obviously Steph and I go way back, um, and it was exciting to be there with her family, who was like parents to me when I was 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was honestly some of the most exciting basketball that I've seen in a long time. That was it was amazing to be there. It was amazing to be able to be a part of it in a way and celebrate with the team and. And even just like going out after and like it, it just like it's one of those things that you rarely get the opportunity to be a part of. And even though I was a part of it in a very small way and like Steph won a gold medal that summer. That was, was a good like, year for Stephanie Dolson. She went nuts. She really yeah. came out yeah. all the way on top. Yeah. And like we did like a nice dinner for her for that. So it was just like the whole thing was just really cool to be a part of. Um, so that's like memories I will cherish forever. And then just being able to partake in some of the celebration, what was your thoughts on what it meant to this team? I mean, we're talking about Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, the two longest tenured Sky players in the franchise's history. 
finally bringing a championship to the city with the help of hometown legend Candace yeah. Parker. You got Kalia Copper going off. Diamond DeShield's been here since 2018. Steph came over in that trade for Elena. Like the storylines were endless. Yeah. And then for them to finally do it, what did you see in them? Well, as a six seed too. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And especially like they didn't have an easy season and obviously they were, <laughs> they were a six seed. Um, but, and even just like the interactions with the team that I kind of like knew some stuff behind the scenes, like they, they worked through that. <laughs> and the fact that at the end of that, they were all bonded with that was kind of crazy to see. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously no one will ever know what happened behind locker room doors, but it wasn't an easy journey for them. No, I mean, even from a reporter standpoint, like the season ended with one of the worst losses of, I think it was the worst loss of the year. They lose to the aces and then almost lose to the fever. Yeah. And everyone's kind of thinking like, Oh my God, this was supposed to be the year. Mm -hmm. I remember people's energy was so, so low, yeah. so low. And then you talk to the team and they say how they had this team meeting and yeah. you know, things truly turned around yeah. with that Dallas wings game. But and I then, think it, it's, it, it it's the leadership that they had on the team. Mm -hmm. I mean, Candace, obviously, natural leader. I think Steph is a leader. Um, Ka was kind of like pulled into it because she's Candace's little protege. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they, and obviously Courtney and, and uh, Sloot. So they, it was the, the amount of leadership that they had on that team mm -hmm. was kind of different. Definitely. And everyone had their lane of leadership, too. Yeah. And that was something that I loved hearing about from the players was that everyone, you know, Candace didn't come in and then all of a sudden Courtney's now being the most vocal leader. Like no. she still continued to lead the way that um, she had been leading yeah. before Candace got there. So it really was they were not only a deep team on the court, but off the court as well. Everybody had their role. And yeah. as we saw it all came together in the perfect storybook and ending. And the rookies, like, shut up and just did their thing. Right. <laughs> like, everyone knew their place, um, which is very hard to do. Oh, so hard, especially yeah. at the professional level. Yeah. I mean, but egos are involved. When you have Candace Parker on the floor, it's like, who else do you listen to? <laughs> right, especially, I think, with, with who she is in Chicago, too. Mm -hmm. You know, the second she signed to come home, it just... That's what it was. Yeah. Candace Parker is coming home. And that's something that I, I think I, I would love to talk to the players about more this year. But just the sacrifice that it takes from every single player. Mm -hmm. Like, you are all professionals. You are all the best at what you do. And then Candace Parker comes into the mix. You have to do so much sacrificing of your ego, of maybe a former role you had, to make a situation like that gel. Yeah. And that's not to say that Candace Parker is some some psychopath who came in and took no. over, but it's just the fact of the matter. Like everybody had to do some sacrificing. Yeah. And and it just shows what type of person Candace is, too. Like right. I was actually I represent Chris Johnson, who's one of her trainers in L.A. Mm -hmm. And I was in the gym with both of them a couple of weeks ago. And um, I was saying to someone I was with, I was like, the fact that. Candace Parker is coming in the gym and she's still learning the game. Mm -hmm. Like, cause Chris is a very, um, 
he te- he still teaches his players. It doesn't matter who it is. Mm-hmm. And he's still teaching her how to play the game and she's listening. Mm-hmm. That just shows what type of person she is. Mm-hmm. Because she could just be like, I know I know what to do. Right. Like, I'm good. Right. Clearly. <laughs> and that's another quality that has always struck me about Courtney Vandersloot too is she's she's never saying the most, but you just by watching the way that she continues mm-hmm. to grow in the game, by watching how serious she takes her craft, how much time she puts into her craft. Mm-hmm. How could you not yeah. be inspired by that? How could you not want to be better for your teammate who's over here doing this, who's yeah. over here continuing to learn the game, even though they're a two-time MVP, right. rookie of the year, champion, now twice over. It's like, right. okay, they're great, and they're still working to yeah. be better. And for all of us, it just shows the work is never done, like even never. what we're doing. So. Never, never. Um, no, this sky season was extremely inspiring, not only for, I think, former players, for players in the league, for reporters, for everybody that was watching that season. It was extremely inspiring. And, you know, as you know, this this podcast is called Equal Play. It's about leveling the playing field. All of our conversations are with talented, powerful, incredible women. Some men, too. James Wade, I think, was the first. James Wade was oh, the first and only man. that we've had on the podcast so far. (laughs) Shout out to James. So I just always like to ask my guests this. The final question is, you know, what are your hopes for women in sports, the future for women in sports? What does that look like and what is your hope? I hope that, like how I was saying before about like, why is this news? I hope that certain things stop being news and just start being the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also hope that... um, I hope that we can build excitement, more excitement around the game. Like that playoff feeling that we felt, I want to feel that all the time. Right. Like how do we do that? And I think that's what I try to do through marketing with my clients and just build excitement around the game and the people involved in the game. Um, Because it's there, the eyes just aren't on it. Right. Um, And I think it'll take everybody. And I I have this conversation a lot where we're like, women need to support women. But I'm like, no, we really need men to support women. Right. (laughs) Like we can support each other all day. But until men, we start including men in the conversation and including all people in the conversation, uh, I doubt we'll get there. I agree. Again, another statement I agree with 100%. (laughs) I think there's been three. But Taylor, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Our first Equal Play studio guest ever in the history of the podcast. Thank you for coming into the Sun-Times and giving us your time. It was a great conversation. Yeah, this was was awesome. Thank you for popping my podcast cherry. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to do it. Happy. Can I say that on here? Yeah, we'll leave it on. (laughs) 